Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and chavruta, Yerdena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachat Sukkah, daf tet zayin, page 16. Today, I'm going to continue with what I began with yesterday, with this Mishnah, that yesterday I said the Mishnah, that first half of the Mishnah, the second half of the Mishnah did not really seem to line up, but perhaps the Gemara that we have here at the beginning of the daf today will will make it work a little better. Well, it's not fair to say that about the Mishnah, of course. I'm saying that the the question that I had about the first half and the second half not matching seems to be a little bit more fleshed out by external texts that do seem to appear on this daf. So from the top of the daf, right, we're talking about a bed, if it becomes ritually impure, right, which of course is relevant to the basic concern that schach cannot be made from that which can become rendered ritually impure. So the idea here is that if it can become ritually impure and it can then become ritually pure, like one bed, like that is, it is considered a bed. And now you can dunk that bed in a mikvah somehow and it would be, Rend, it, you can purify it. Let's say, let's say if somebody had, I don't know, if there was a dead body, and then you know you've now cor- you've corrected, basically you've been you've been pure. Excuse me, you've purified the bed from the impurity. Okay, that's one kind of thing. If it's one solid bed, but if it cannot, if it it cannot become purified if, in fact, it was dismantled, right? Meaning it has to be the bed as a bed. The parts of it doesn't, don't work to become rendered pure, according to Rabbi Eliezer. The Chachamim say that it actually, here we go, Chachamim it becomes pure, impure, and pure even when it's dismantled. Meaning the same way that it can become pure, impure, sorry, when it's in parts, it can also become pure when it's in parts. Now, this, of course, becomes very important because the Mishnah talked about, you know, skewers or perhaps poles from a bed, that would be the component parts, that could then be part of the schach. So now the concern is, what is that component part from the Mishnah? Ami Reb Hanan, Ami Rabbi, Arucha Kra'im, Ktsara Kra'im. So it is, well, we're talking about a situation where you've got a long board that has two little legs attached to it and a short board with two legs attached to it. So what are we talking about? What is this part for? Well, first of all, you could take this part, this beam, I guess, this part of the bed and lean it against the wall, or you could sit on it, you could put ropes on it, meaning that this is what the Gemara is saying, you could, there's all kinds of ways that it could be used, even when it's still broken into its component parts, not as one large part of the bed. Of course, I'm still left with this question. How is this going to be acceptable? Isn't this the kind of thing that at least according to Chachamim can be rendered impure? And then I have a question on the Mishnah. The Gemara says on this whole matter, Gufa, Ama Rebbe Ami Tavyomi, what's his name? Tavyomi, Siksa Bivlaai Kelim Psula. So if you took a sukkah, and you put your schach, what you use on top of it is worn out kalim, worn out vessels. So that is not a kosher sukkah. 
My bly kelim. What does it mean that you've got worn out vessels? Amrabai mitlanyot matlanyot she'ain behem shalosh al shalosh. So we're talking about cloths, but these cloths themselves are so small that they don't have three finger three finger breadths by three finger breadths. I mean, they're just a small thing. It can't it doesn't count for much. They're not considered not by the poor and not by the wealthy. That's what it says here. So these items, these cloths, are not going to be part of schach. I don't know why we care that they'd be worn out. It seems that this would not be suitable for schach to begin with. It's not gidule karka. It's not of an appropriate size. It can't, it probably can be rendered impure. Maybe not. Maybe that's why it's being brought here. Let's keep going. Tanya. So this is where I said yesterday, I said that this this is might be the piece that will bring it all together. It says that what that where you have a mat, right? And the mat could be woven from different kinds of things. It could be woven from machatzelet shal shifa. Bishalgami, right? These different kinds of reeds or grasses that can be put together. And then at the end of the day, so what happens? Each of these remnants are too small to be able to be Makabaltuma. They can't be rendered impure. And but still, you're not going to be able to roof to use it for the roofing for the sukkah. Because and that goes back to the opinion of Rav Ami Bartavyomi. It says you can't use something that is worn out. But even if it's just a matter of size, even though you weave, weave it together, it seems to be that this is going to be a problem um, for for using it for a sukkah. I will say that I find this passage, these halachot as listed, I find them a little bit contradictory. So I don't know if that's some, I I don't know if that's something that is resolved in the halacha, um, but it does not seem to be resolved yet here. However, and I'm, your day, I'm going to give it over to you in one more moment. Um, the Brite here goes on to say, if we're talking about a machatzelet hakenim, or if we're talking about reeds, right? we've got a mat that has reeds, and it's gdola misakhinba. If it's large, then you can use it for schach. Ktana ein misakhinba. Rabbi Lezer omer, af hi makabeletuma ve'ein misakhinba. But Rabbi Lezer, sorry, Rabbi Lezer says, even the large mat could be makabal tuma, and you shouldn't be using it for your schach. So now all of this becomes a little bit of a of a tangle of a of a confusion because again, all of this is following up on the Mishnah, which said if you've got long skewers or if you've got parts of your bed, you know, which this Gemara says even those parts of the bed could be according to Chachamim, they could be makabal tuma. Yet the Mishnah says that they could be fine. And then I just want to finish with the haystack. Um, it's not a haystack. It says a stack of green, but it's close enough for my purposes, right? If you if you if you come and you hollow out a hole, a space in the middle of your stack of green, right? And this is the question. The Mishnah says this is not a kosher sukkah. How large does this hole have to be? So Rav Huna says that you would. <laughs> It would never be a sukkah unless you had, well, it's not it's not a sukkah anyway, but the, the suggestion is that you would need to have, um, let's see, one, te- let's see, you need to have the, 
one tefach for every seven. Aval, um, I guess that's width and height, right? One handbreadth high with seven handbreadths, which are which is where the green is piled. So if you picture like I have a picture here that's a covered, it looks like a covered wagon where the hole is like through the middle of this large round or rounded, um, I guess, pile of grain, you know, it's, but it's large. Obviously you have to be able to get into it. But according to this view, and this is really wild, if you have that degree, that, that spot space of a halal, if you have, uh, a hole big enough in there within your haystack, within your stack of grain, um, then it counts as a sukkah, which of course is crazy because what's missing here? You don't have any access to the sky whatsoever, right? This is a solid roofing of, it is gudule karka, meaning it's the, it's the grain itself, but it's a really, it's a really firm, solid covering to the sky and it's rounded at least in this picture, meaning you're talking about some kind of pile of grain. It's not flat. So that's what I have to say. So. <laughs> um, you're funny. Uh, no, I mean, I think this is a great discussion, you know, on this. I like this discussion about sort of this, uh, you know, the sukkah cut from within the haystack. And, um, you know, even the like, I, I didn't totally understand this sort of seven by seven tefak. Like I couldn't visually totally understand like how this would work. This again seems like the way the Gavar is explaining it. This seems very boundary pushing to me. Like because one really tefak is not high like enough. Right, because like, one tefak is too small. Thing, it's like a crawl space. So I think it has to be a ratio. No, but I think it's I think it's a ratio. I'm sorry if I was not clear about that. I think it's a ratio that it needs to be. Your width has to be one to the set one, one. Um, I don't mean width. I mean height, right? That the well, there's three dimensions here, right? So when you hollow it out, it has to be um, your smallest side has to be no less than one seventh of the rest of it of the longer side. Okay, right. All right, I think that's correct. It's actually a ratio, but it it's still we never really talked about things ratio before. And I guess what I was just struck by is why isn't it just you have to carve up enough that a person and a table could be in there? You know what I mean? Like, in other words, I'm surprised it's by me by measurement and not by what you could fit in it. Does that make sense? Yes. I should note that the Gemara here continues until we get to the mission that you're going to talk about. It does say, like, how could that be a sukkah? The Mishnah doesn't, didn't the Mishnah just say that this is not a sukkah? And how could it be that the space is going to be so tiny, right? That how are you going to have a halal of one tefach and call it a sukkah? Meaning all of these questions are exactly what the Gemara says. And that's where it pauses. Like it really doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't go I further. Yeah, because I think it recognizes it's it's a totally strange concept. I'm going to move ahead now to this uh, Mishnah and it reads as follows. Amisha shelta milamala lamata. Right? So if somebody lowers the walls of a sukkah from up downward. So in other words, you have these walls and you lower them down. If they're higher up than three tfachim from the bottom of the ground, that's it's pasul. The walls on the floor and you're, you're raising it up. 
im gavo asarat tfachim kshera, right? And if it, sorry, if it's, if it's, if you go down upward, as long as the wall is, uh, you know, as long as that wall is 10 tfachim high, even if it doesn't reach the, the roof, uh, the schach, it is okay. So essentially what this Mishnah is talking about is two types of cases, right? It's how far down do the walls have to be, right? And basically it's saying if it has more than a gap of three tzfachim of the wall to the ground, it's pasul. And, you know, how high up does it have to be? And it's basically saying as long as it's 10 tzfachim high, the wall, right? Um, then that is going to be considered to be a kosher wall. Rabbi Yossi Omer, so Rabbi Yossi feels it should, we shouldn't distinguish between the two. It's 10 tefachim, 10 tefachim, right? Like you get that leeway either from the bottom up or the top down. You just need sort of this 10, you just need this sort of uh, a, a 10 tefachim. Um, And so, uh, you know, what happens now afterwards is, is that really what this is talking about is a machitza tluya, right? That's really... What what a lot of, uh, what what this is about, and so the Gemara goes on, right? But my kamaflige, what are they arguing about? Mar saber mechitza tliya materet, umar saber mechitza tliya eno mater, ena materet. So one rabbi, and this is Rabbi Yossi, basically holds that a suspended partition, okay, if it doesn't even go all the way down, right, you're allowed to use it, right, because it's also permitted, right? The materet is permitted. You can use that type of partition on Shabbat and it's allowed. And one rabbi, right, which is the rabbis, the other ones, right, hold that a suspended partition uh, does not, it, 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 it's it's a terror. It's not allowed when we're talking about carrying on Shabbat. And now we're going to go to always what our parallel Mishnah is. So we're going to quote a Mishnah that's in Eruvin. It's not Hatam. It teaches over there in a Mishnah, in Eruvin. Right, so you have a cistern that's between two courtyards. Right, you can't fill, you can't draw from it, right? Because it would be from drawing from one domain to another domain. Unless you made a partition that was ten tefachim specifically for this bore, right? That basically separates the water, the bore from the other domain, so that they're not drawing specifically water into their courtyard. Okay, right. Right, and it doesn't make a difference whether this partition is above or below, or even if if it's within the the rim or the airspace of the rim itself. Rav Shimon ben Gamliel, Rav Shimon Gamliel says, Beit Shammai omri milamal. Beit Shammai says the partition right needs to be placed below, and Beit Shilomri milamata. It's from sorry, Beit Shammai says milamalo. Beit Shilomri milamata. Right, so it's below and above. I'm a Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda says, Rabbi Yehuda says this partition, right, doesn't need to be more than the wall, right, that serves that serves as a partition between the, the two courtyards. So what Rabbi Yehuda is saying is, once there's a wall between courtyards, okay, okay, once there's a wall between the two courtyards, two courtyards you don't need to, you don't need you don't, you don't need to put another partition there. You already sort of have a, uh, you already have a, uh, you have a partition there already, right? Um, and so, you know, it's interesting uh, to sort of see again how we get these parallels 
uh, to a Reuven again, because in other words, we're talking about a partition, whether partition is one that you need so that you can be allowed to carry, or whether it's a partition that we're going to say is for the wall of your sukkah, and really we allow for it to be uh, a, a, is, is, really, is really a sukkah. And then the Gemara is going to go on with Rabbi Barbarachana, you know, it says in the name Rabbi Yochanan, that Rabbi Huda really holds by Rabbi Yossi, that a suspended partition is actually okay. And then the Gemara wants to say, no, actually Rabbi Yehuda doesn't have to hold like Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Yossi doesn't have to hold like uh, Rabbi Yehuda. So they're going to spend a little bit of time, uh, you know, trying to, um, trying to explore that. Um, and then again, what they do is, is that they give sort of these, you know, in the midst of this discussion, uh, they bring up this case of Rav Chista, right? Amar Rav Chista, Amar Avimi, Machtselet Arba'a Umashahu, Materet Bisuka, Mishum Dofen. So let's say you have a mat that's four hand breadths and a bit wide. Could you use this as a sukkah wall? And so the question is, Hechi Avid, how would this be? So you sort of would have to suspend it somehow in the middle. So you would tie it like basically by the two sides. Right. And let's say it has less than three tapachim below it and less than three tapachim above it. Right. And then basically you rely on the principle of Lavud. Right. And then you essentially get to the 10 tapachim. So I love that here with this particular case of Rochiz. And again, the Gemara is going to explore it a little more, whether this actually is true or not true. But just the premise that the Gemara sets up here with this opinion of Rav Chista is you're getting, you're combining two things together, the Mechitza Tluya with the concept of Levud. And essentially the Gemara ends on whether or not are you allowed to sort of combine both of those things together. And it, it discusses whether you can or you can't. So I, I just think, again, we're sort of seeing it doesn't, it makes sense to me that we go back to a Reuven, because again, what we're trying to figure out is a wall is essentially a partition. And so we're looking to a parallel case. And then I love this statement of Rechista, which is basically trying to say, can we layer upon halachic principle with, you know, halachic concept with halachic concept? What happens if we try to combine with the concept of Levud? Where do we actually fall out there? So I always love Levud. Lavud, Lavud, whatever, when it comes up, because I think it is the quintessential halachic truth that does not seem to have its basis in the physical reality, right? Here we've got, I don't know what, we're going to, I want to call it a hanging sukkah, right? Meaning where there's, there's a gap in your sukkah, you know, in your, where it appears in the, as a structure. And yet, because we have this concept of Lavud, then it works out, right? It works out to say, even where you think there is no sukkah, there is still sukkah. And that's why the sukkah works. Right. And I think this further elaborates what's a partition, because we don't see this thing with Lavud, with Lavud, with the, it's interesting, it doesn't, that parallel case does not come up with a Reuven, if I remember correctly, right? Like, they don't say, what if you do four, now again, I think part of that is a technical thing. I don't know how you would suspend that above a cistern, right? Right here, it's like right. you have supposedly some posts or something that you're holding this mat against. So I guess you sort of could do it. So maybe that's why it's not there. But it's interesting that the concept only appears here in Sukkah, but not in a Reuben. I mean, 
maybe because it's so much more pronounced in Erevin to begin with, right? All of the times that we end up making an, some kind of Erev Chateret that has some kind of, oh, there's just, you know, less than three Tfachim, so it's as if it's all, you know, it's not that it's a, the, the halachic construct that is an Erev relies heavily on the capacity of filling in the gaps, right? As long as the gap is not too large, it'll work, right? So I don't know that it needs to, I don't know that we, it's more dramatically said when it comes to sukkah, where you're supposed to have a physical sukkah, right? As compared to Erevin, which is already a, a designation by the rabbis that, it, you know, here you have an Erev, as compared to sukkah, which has more, maybe I'm wrong about this, but it's No, seems but to the Gemara has... mentions that. That gets mentioned on this staff, right? That Erevin is the Rabbanan and sukkah is the Raisa. And that maybe that's why, you know, some okay, of that does Fair enough. There. So, so I didn't mean I didn't mean about the halachic uh, level. I meant about the physicality of it, right? And Eruv doesn't like you could have Turat HaPetach, right? And you can have Alechi, right? There's, we went through all these different cases where where we like the the halacha fills in the physicality of it. But for a sukkah, doesn't it need to be a physical structure? And the answer might be, well, maybe not. But it's not as obvious to me that it would be a maybe not. Because it's much more, I don't know, go dwell in a sukkah. Doesn't there have to be a physical structure there? It seems to be part and parcel of the mitzvah is that you have to actually have a physical sukkah. I would think that the gaps would would invalidate it. And the answer is, well, no, it doesn't. Or at least right. sometimes so, it doesn't. So you're saying don't even put aside the Durabana and Durabana piece. There's something about, like, we know that with a Reuven, it's putting up some symbolic structure to say, like, you partition this area off. But with right. Sukkot, you're really making some type of dwelling. So this, so it's even more innovative. Yes, exactly. I think it's a, a more dramatic statement with regard to Sukkah that you can say, oh, here, here you have a gap, and yet it is filled in by the halacha. I, I, I think that's fair to say. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.